of the Pharisees, according to the law, blameless. See, he says, this is who I used to be, but now that I'm in Christ, Christ has now so shaped my identity that I see myself differently. Now, here's the question. How are you defining yourself? And have you allowed your identity to be holy in Christ? Or are you still retaining aspects of your identity that actually is not who you are any longer? Who are you? That's a question Pastor Daniel will pose to you today while introducing you to the book of Romans, a letter from the Apostle Paul. Paul identified himself well in his opening salutations, assuring everyone who was reading that his authority was not self-made. Everything he said and did was because of what Jesus had done for him. Jesus needs to be the one setting your identity as well, so you can use his love to fuel your ministry. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 1. As he begins his message, it's all about Jesus. So one of the things that's the biggest struggles for all of us in the midst of our lives is that our lives are full of tension The idea really is that in every area of our life, there is a tension that exists. We want it to be simple, but life isn't really all that simple. There are things that happen where you actually have to learn how to manage the tension as opposed to try and resolve the tension. Like if you think about it, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you realize that you are a citizen of two different kingdoms, Right? You're a citizen of this world, but you're also, you have a citizenship in heaven. And isn't there a tension to try and live in both at the same time? Right? It's like, you know that the ethics of eternity and the ethics of 21st century American culture are different. And how do I navigate both of them at the same time? In the same way, we know that we want to live radically generous lives, but at the same time, we need to plan for the future. And so you end up with all these areas of tension that for many of us, the way we navigate is we don't want the tension, so we just resolve the tension, but then you end up missing out on some part of what God is doing. I see this all the time for Lynn and I as parents, because, you know, like we we get the pleasure of raising these three great kids, but all the time there are areas where, you know, there's this tension on What do I do to be a good parent? Like, we could talk about, like, our little four-year-old Annabelle, who we love so much. Now, Annabelle's a sassy little lady, you know what I mean? She's a modern woman. She knows what she wants. She asks for what she wants. If she doesn't get it, she makes sure you know she's unhappy with what she didn't get, you know? And the number of times that Lynn and I are trying to teach Annabelle how to live, but we really just want to be rolling on the ground hysterically laughing... Is a lot, but what happens is you realize that if like if she's being naughty and we start hysterically laughing, then she's gonna be more naughty because she thinks it's funny. So it's like the number of times where Annabelle's doing something and I'm like biting my lips so I'm not cracking up, and Lynn's like, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. You know what I mean? 
But there's this tension there where it's like, I want to be a good parent. And at the same time, what she's doing is hysterical, you know? Or this just happened with our middle one, Maranatha. I love Maranatha so much. She's such a cool girl. But Maranatha is your classic perfectionist, which means Maranatha gets everything right all the time, right? And like, what's really cool is she does most of the time. But so Maranatha has been running cross country, Right. And so sure enough, yeah, God bless her. Right. She's hardcore. You know what I mean? But sure enough, Maranatha was running this race and she didn't realize she actually cut a lap off the race. But she beat her brother's time and she was super stoked about that. Right. So sure enough, like I get home and and, and Maranatha's like, well, I beat Obadiah's time and Obadiah was having none of it. And she's like, Obadiah's like, no, no, you skipped a lap. You didn't, didn't realize it. And Mary was like, no, I didn't. I beat you in the race. And they're going back and forth. And then Lynn's like, she totally skipped the lap. Now, at that moment, as a parent, I was stuck between wanting just to celebrate my daughter, who's the awesomest, and also knowing that she's a perfectionist and I can get a good rise out of her. <laughs> and I'm feeling the internal tension. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know dad having fun because that's why my kids are there so I can have fun with them you know what I mean and also like wanting to honor her perfectionistic self and before I knew it I said nothing better than cheating and Maranatha got very upset at this because she's a perfectionist and she didn't cheat like she was being malicious but she was cheating. Let's just be honest about it. You know what I mean? And Maranatha got very upset and she left the room and Lynn looked at me like, what are you doing? You know, but I couldn't help myself. You know, it's like there's that tension. But ultimately I went to Maranatha and me and Maranatha laughed and I'm like, Maranatha, it's okay. She's like, I, I wasn't trying to cheat. I'm like, I know your heart was right, but you're still a cheater. And I bring that up. It's just like, cause it's those tensions, right? Like where it's like, I kind of just want to just hug her and tell her she's amazing. And at the same time, I want to have some fun with her. You you know what I mean? And it's like, and, but life can be a series of tensions. And that's why we're beginning today what will end up being a series through Romans chapters one to five. But really what we're going to do is we're going to actually do four series through the book of Romans. So it's going to take us probably the better part of a year to do these four different series. But in looking at Romans one to five, we're going to be looking at a series that I'm calling Life Intention. Because at every turn, we're going to see that there is a tension to living this life. And for many of us, we're making the mistake of trying to resolve the tension rather than just embracing what it is. And being able to live in both worlds, being able to live in God's kingdom and in the way that this world works, to move through it in such a way that we really experience all that God would have us to do it. So Open up in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans, chapter 1. Of course, if you have a smart device, just type in Romans 1, and it will pop up there. I'll get you to the book of Romans if you don't know where it is. In the New Testament, that last third of your Bible, it begins with the four Gospels, or the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the book of what's commonly titled the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through this group of guys called the Apostles. And then you have Paul's letter to the Romans, the very first one. Now, what I want to tell you as we get this thing going is that Romans is such a deep book. I've been looking forward to teaching this book here at Crossroads for a long time now. I've been waiting and getting excited about it, and I'm super excited, but it's impossible to exhaust the book of Romans. 
and say everything that needs to be said. So, you know, if you're traveling, there's lots of different ways to travel. So we're going to not take Romans at like a 30,000 foot view. Like if you're on an airplane where I just like do like two messages over the whole book of Romans. And we're not going to take it at like a 10,000 foot view if we were taking like a, you know, like a Cessna or, or a helicopter or whatever, you know, where we're just going to take like, you know, two chapters at a clip. We're going to be taking it kind of at like on a two lane highway kind of a, a journey through it. But really, if we wanted to, we can take Romans where you just walk through the neighborhood and we spend, like we do one half verse per message and we unpack all the stuff that's in there. And so because I'm going to be doing the two-lane highway version of this, taking about a half a chapter per message, I realize I'm leaving a lot of good information on the table. Does that make sense? And so what I want to encourage you because of that is I want you just to begin to read the book of Romans. Just in your own devotional time, just read the book of Romans since you know, I knew I was going to be teaching. I've read through the book of Romans four times in a row, just, you know, reading through it at whatever pace you do. Just keep reading through it so you can get the whole scope of what Paul is saying. And because I'm going to be taking a half a chapter or a third of a chapter per message, you know, I, I, there's a continuity to the entire thought of the whole thing. And I don't want you to miss that. And so I think supplementing what we're doing here through the book of Romans with your own reading time, reading through the book of Romans a number of times, I think will really be a blessing to you. And if you do it, I know you're going to be blessed by it. So jumping on in Romans chapter one, verse one says this, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead, through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom You also are called of Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you see in these first seven verses, this was kind of the customary formula for letters in ancient times. It always included the name of the person who wrote it. And then also naming the and identifying the intended recipients of the letter. And then normally some sort of a salutation. So if you notice in verse one, Paul's the person who wrote the letter. By the time you get to verse seven, it's being identified to be received by all who are in Rome. And then, of course, the salutation is at the end of verse seven, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul is a pastor, which means no need to go from point A to point B to point C in the quickest possible way. There's some sermonizing to do. And so the Apostle Paul gets at that, right? And so if I were to take these first seven verses and give you one big idea that I think will is really important is the fact that you and I have to always remember that your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. Now I want to show you how I got that. And it's an important thing because our identity is the way that you define yourself, your self-knowledge. 
It's how you see yourself and why you see yourself the way that you do. And every single one of us has an identity. I remember when I was in college, I studied psychology. And I remember there was this concept that one of my professors really loved. It was the idea of the looking glass self. That I see me the way I see you see me. Like I self-identify the way I see that you identify me. Now, all of us know what that's like because one of the ways we understand ourselves is based on the way our parents or the people who raised us treated us. Some of us had parents who were really loving and kind and told us that we were special and amazing and could do anything. And then you begin to see yourself in that way. Other of us, unfortunately, had parents who were lousy and told you that you were useless, stupid, and a waste of space. And if you had one of those parents, that's how you began to see yourself. Right? So the environment in which we were raised, not only our immediate families, but also in the society in which we live. For those of you who are born and raised here in America, you have one set of cultural identity that you received. Others who have grown up in other parts of the world with different governments and styles, you get a different set of ideas. And the idea is, is that each one of us builds some sort of self-knowledge based on your culture, your family, then of course your own, the way that you deal with certain things, right? You have your own individual internal reality that you feed into this thing. And so we build all these identities. Now, as you move through life, also those identities change as well. The way you see yourself as a child, as you get older, you know, maybe uh, your identity is built on the fact that you're really good at sports, Right. Or, you know, you're a ladies man or you're a man's woman or whatever. You know what I mean? Or or you, you built your identity on the fact that you were the valedictorian or that, you know, you built your identity on the fact that you just wanted everyone to think that you didn't care about them because you built your identity on being the contrary person. Right. And so you go through this and then all of a sudden then you get into the working world and maybe you build your identity on being a spouse or on being successful in your career. Right. Or, or on being a parent. Some of you right now, your grandparents and your whole identity is that you have the cutest grandkids who ever lived. And you fight with every other grandparent because they think their kids is the, their grandkids are the cutest. So that's how that works. Right. But the problem with the way that we self-identify is that, of course, if something goes wrong, then everything falls apart, doesn't it? Like if you build your identity on your career, but you lose your job, then what happens? If you build your identity on your spouse and your spouse turns out to be lousy, what do you do with that? Right. If you build your entire identity on the fact that you're great at sports, but all of a sudden you have a career ending injury, what do you do? And what you find is that people's self-knowledge is constantly shifting. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because the Apostle Paul teaches us not only in looking at himself, but looking at also looking at the, the people in Rome, that his identity is in Christ. His identity is Christ. Because look what he says. Paul, verse 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So the apostle Paul sees himself in these three areas that have everything to do with Jesus. First, he sees himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't ever use the word bondservant. It's purely a biblical word from Exodus chapter 21. A bondservant was somebody who was freed from their servitude, but chose to stay voluntarily. So Paul sees himself as a voluntary slave of Jesus. Now, isn't that, talk about life intention. Our culture says everyone and everything exists to serve you in this world. And then the Bible says that the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And 
if you're a follower of Jesus, you feel that tension. Well, so how does that all work? Am I supposed to be a servant? Our culture doesn't value servant. See, there's a tension there. But Paul doesn't see the tension. He's like, I have volunteered to serve Jesus. Not only that, he says, I am called an apostle. See, the idea that Jesus has placed a calling on Paul's life to be an apostle, one who is sent on out with a commission. And so he sees his life through the finished work of Jesus and this calling to be sent on out into the world. And not only that, he sees himself as being separated unto the gospel of God. That word gospel means good news. That Paul has now been set apart by this calling unto the work of the good news. See, Paul's entire self-identity is now because of Jesus. But what's amazing is if you were to read the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul talked about his former way that he saw himself. Of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, according to the law, blameless. See, he says, this is who I used to be, but now that I'm in Christ, Christ has now so shaped my identity that I see myself differently. Now, here's the question. How are you defining yourself? And have you allowed your identity to be holy in Christ? Or are you still retaining aspects of your identity that actually is not who you are any longer? You know, I just heard, I was talking to one of the gals who makes the follow-up phone calls for people through our TV ministry that we call DFM, and somebody who gave their life to Jesus. And this guy shared how he had gotten four or five DUIs, right? His life was totally broken. He was living out in a homosexual lifestyle, and he was watching TV all really upset one night, and he watched a TV program, and he gave his life to Jesus, And he was saying about how many things have changed because he's like, because of God's grace, now I'm leaving things that are destructive for me and I'm changing my lifestyle because I I can. And, And it was such a powerful example to me of what happens when you allow Jesus to change the way that you look at yourself. See, your identity is the goggles, the lenses through which you see yourself. So you gotta ask yourself, how do you, do you see yourself in Christ? Because someone may say you're useless, but Jesus says, I love you with an everlasting love. You may say you are totally messed up. And then Jesus says you are, but I love you and I'm not finished with you yet. Everyone may say, I do not want to be around you. And Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, how are you identifying yourself? Because the apostle Paul, his identity is in Christ. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to say, I only want to see myself the way God sees me. I only want to define myself the way I am defined by Jesus. And everything else, although it's the way you see yourself, is a lie. Now, isn't that a tension, though? Because for many of us, even though if you're growing in your identity in Christ, those false identities are real, aren't they? You could like love Jesus, like I'm following Jesus, and all of a sudden this lie that you've believed about yourself pops on up and you live that out for a little while, don't you? But what God wants to do is he wants to give us Lasix surgery so we only see ourselves and our identity in Christ. He wants to totally heal that identity. And I think that that's very powerful. But it is a tension to see yourself in Christ, not all the ways that we've been learning. Like I look at my own life. I remember when I was growing up, you know, I was a jock and a musician 
And I got really good at having my identity being the guy who's the life of the party. You know, that was like a really well-worn identity. Except when I got saved and I stopped partying. And then it's like, well, what does that mean about who I am? And I started to learn that God wants to do something fresh. Because the, the problem with the identity of being the life of the party is that if you're not the life of the party, you, what you realize you have no friends. And I realized how superficial all my friendships were because they just liked me because I was fun. Right? And I'd always show up with some mischief. But God has something else. And I think for each one of us right now, God is doing a work of clarifying the lenses through which we see ourselves. And I'm here to tell you, the only thing that is the truest thing about you is what Jesus says you are, nothing else. The brokenness of your parents, former spouses, people who screwed your life up or who, who, who made a wreck and a mess in your life and then bailed, all the stuff that they said that you are, it's all lies because they were living a lie as well. But Jesus says, this is who you are. And we want to begin to live in accordance with that. So you see that? So Paul sees his identity in Christ. Now, once he says that he's separated unto the gospel of God, I'm separated out. Then you get verses two to four really explain to us the gospel of God, the good news. Notice what he says, which was promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the entire Old Testament from Genesis to the book of Malachi, it unpacks the promises of who Jesus is. That's why when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he said to them, you search the Scriptures for in them you think you have life, but they are those which testify of me. That's why the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David, linking up Jesus to all that had gone before in Genesis and through the ministry of David. So you get the fact that the Gospel didn't just show up out of nowhere. It was promise. It's been said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old revealed. So when you read the Old Testament, it has the pictures of the gospel. But once you get to see Jesus, you're like, oh, that's what that was really all about. And in the same way, when you're looking at the New Testament, you're like, oh, okay. So now this thing fits in and this thing fits in. So we have the fact that the gospel was promised beforehand. Notice verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, you notice the Apostle Paul, talk about economy of language here, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, that's what you call packing a punch right there. There's a lot in there. Concerning God's son, Jesus Christ. Now, just so everyone knows, so God's son, it speaks of Jesus' family. He is the son of God. Now, I remember growing up, I'd hear Jesus Christ. I thought that Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name, right? Or I grew up in one of those families where Jesus was talked about a lot, but in the negative way, where everything was Lord Jesus Christ, but it was always like in the negative, right? So I used to think like Lord was his surname and Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name. Now I'm here to tell you, that's not true. Jesus is... Today's message began a journey through the New Testament book of Romans. Through this series, Pastor Daniel plans to continue to explore the tension that exists in a Christian's life between living in the world and living for another. 
The Apostle Paul's letter began today to explain where purpose comes from, why you should identify yourself through the eyes of Jesus, not through anything you may have done. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel shares what living a life set apart for Jesus looks like. It doesn't mean your actions, speech, and relationships reflect that of the world. Instead, you are to stand out and walk differently than your friends, co-workers, and maybe even your family. In setting a different example, you'll be able to tell people why living for Jesus is the best choice. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Life Intention. Until then, may God bless.